Greetings and welcome to this episode of the Virginia Hospital and Healthcare Association's Patients Come First podcast series. Podcast episodes are available on many popular podcast hosting sites, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Deezer, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, Blueberry, SoundCloud, Google Podcasts, and at www.vhha.com. You can also hear episodes of the podcast each Saturday at noon and Sunday at 10 a.m. on 100.5 FM, 92.7 FM, and 820 a.m. across Central Virginia. Please send any questions, comments, or feedback to pcfpodcast at vhha.com. Again, that is pcfpodcast at vhha.com. And with that housekeeping out of the way, today we are joined by Dr. Jeff DeLisi, Senior Vice President and Chief Medical Officer at Virginia Hospital Center in Arlington, and Dr. Stephanie Jackson, Vice President and Nurse Executive at Centera OBC Hospital in Suffolk. During the COVID-19 pandemic, our two guests have helped lead statewide groups of physician and nurse hospital leaders dealing with a range of logistical and clinical issues related to the coronavirus response. We'll discuss that in a moment, but first, welcome to the program, Stephanie and Jeff. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for both being here. We appreciate you making a few moments in your busy schedule. As we mentioned at the top, our guests have respectively helped lead the VHHA Chief Medical Officer's COVID-19 Operational Issues Forum and the VHHA Chief Nursing Officers COVID-19 Operational Issues Forum. These are among the roughly 20 statewide advisory councils that VHHA and member hospital leaders have been actively engaged in as part of the COVID-19 planning and response effort. One of the things we try to do with this podcast is to explain to listeners how complex and involved healthcare delivery can be, not just from a clinical perspective, but also from an operational one. So let's start there. Dr. DeLisi, what kind of issues has the CMO Forum focused on and what benefits has that collaboration and collegial sharing environment helped produce? Thanks, Julian. You know, I think one of the things that makes Virginia one of the best states for healthcare is the collaboration that really exists amongst the different systems and the leaders of those systems to improve care. I think we always use that phrase, safety comes first, and we don't really compete on safety. We all want to help our patients. So there's just a really great collaborative atmosphere, I know, amongst the chief medical officers and I know amongst the chief nursing officers statewide as well. So when the whole pandemic started, we organized this call with the chief medical officers across the state, and it was so helpful to talk to colleagues across the Commonwealth and find out what were they doing about PPE or uh, the personal protective equipment? What were they doing about testing? How were different organizations uh, handling the visitation policies? What surgeries were we doing or not doing? So all those big, uh, we'll call them sort of hot button topics that you were hearing about in the news were all things that we were getting together uh, initially on a weekly basis to discuss how are we all handling it. And it was just so helpful to get the views and inputs from others around the Commonwealth on, on what they were doing. Similar question for you, Stephanie. You and Eileen Doman, the chief nursing officer at Mary Washington, have led the CNO forum. And so can you just tell us about the benefits from your perspective as a nursing leader and how that's been helpful? Absolutely. As Dr. DeLisi said, it's just been a great collaboration among the CNOs in the state. One of our greatest takeaways was knowing that, you know, we're all in this together and learning from each other. So some of the hot topics that have come up for the CNOs back in March when we started our calls were surrounding PPE utilization and conservation as that was a um, national issue. And we were able to share and learn from each other regarding that. We looked at staff exposures and how to manage that. 
and uh, staffing support. How could we, you know, share staffing, nurses, nursing assistants throughout the hospitals? We had lots of conversations about visitor restrictions and how we would handle that. And then as uh, our calls continued to proceed, we started to consider things like elective surgeries. First, how we turn those off, and then later on, how do we turn back on elective surgery? You each work at different hospitals in Northern Virginia and Hampton Roads, respectively. These are the two most populous regions of the Commonwealth and have seen some of the most significant rates of COVID-19 hospitalizations in Virginia. In fact, Hampton Roads has experienced a recent rise in cases. I wonder what your observations are about the hospital pandemic response in your community specifically and the resource investments is required. Let's start with you, Stephanie. Yes, we have seen a resurgence here in Hampton Roads. We're actually seeing more COVID positive and PUI patients than we saw during our initial surge back in March. So we have collaborated with our local emergency management. And what we are learning is that we believe that exposures are happening at events related to First Father's Day back in June, more recently 4th of July, which we're currently linking the surge to that. So as restrictions are being lifted and there are outdoor picnics, family reunions and get-togethers, we're beginning to see transmission in the community and increasing, of course, the spread and then hospitalized patients. And Dr. DeLisi, we haven't seen as much of an uptick in Northern Virginia, but early on during the pandemic, Northern Virginia had some of the most significant rates of cases. What have your observations been? Yeah, I mean, things escalated very quickly from March into April and into early May in, in the Northern Virginia region. And, you know, I think the hospitals here did a just a tremendous job of changing our focus very quickly from normal day-to-day care to really taking care of this very large population of patients who required a lot of additional resources that we weren't used to. And kind of changing the direction of that had to be quick, had to be swift, and I think it was done very well. When I go out in this area and go to various stores and things like that, I think mask wearing is very it's predominant up here. I mean, people are wearing masks pretty regularly, and so we've been fortunate at least to this point to not see that same uptick that we've seen in some of the other areas around the country. So I think maybe that initial, again, huge surge that we saw up here really helped to, you know, get everybody in the community on board that they needed to mask and social distance to keep it in check. So fingers are crossed, but we're certainly pleased with where the numbers are right now. And that message about wearing masks and practicing appropriate safety standards and precautions, whether it's social distancing or hand washing, remains really important. And in fact, I'll just throw a quick plug in here. Uh, We're recording this on Monday, July 20th. And actually, uh, later today, we, VHHA, will be announcing a campaign where we're giving away masks. The masks have a slogan on them that says, I heart Virginia hospitals. And we're doing a social media promotion to try to encourage people to wear masks by giving away some free masks. If uh, either of you want one, we'd be happy to send one to you. And to segue to the next question now, and Stephanie, you mentioned this about the suspension of non-emergency scheduled procedures. That happened back in March, and one of the things that was intending to do is to free up additional hospital bed space and capacity in anticipation of medical surge needs. In addition to the freeing up of that bed space, there were also 
thousands of new beds created under Governor Northam's Executive Order 52 to further increase capacity. And then there were also conversations about alternate care sites, and many hospitals around Virginia created additional capacity by fast-tracking opening of new wings and and facilities or uh, retrofitting existing facilities uh, for extraordinary use. But now that things are slowly reopening with those safety precautions in place that we talked about, there is still a hesitance on the part of some in the public to seek out needed medical care. And people, in some instances, are still delaying that care. And that's one of the things that we've been trying to get the message out there is to say, if you had a procedure postponed and it's something that is essential or critical to your health, you need to get that procedure rescheduled. You need to get that screening rescheduled. You need to get that preventative care. So I wanted to give both of you an opportunity to speak to that point. Dr. DeLisi, we'll start with you. How are you and your colleagues trying to get that word out there and convey the importance of people resuming needed medical care? Julian, thanks for asking the question. It it is so important. And I think we've already seen some preliminary data that when you take COVID out of the equation, that there was potentially more mortality in the U.S. so far during this pandemic than you would otherwise expect because people are putting things off. We also saw some data come out from the American College of Cardiology that showed a, a huge decrease in the number of MIs that came to hospitals. And so we know patients were likely having symptoms of heart disease and not coming into the hospital to seek treatment. So we're trying to get the message out. I think, you know, one of the things I was trying to, or we've been trying to get across to the public here is just this notion that one of the things we do really well in hospitals is infection prevention. We have a team of infection preventionists. We have infectious disease doctors. And so the culture of hospitals is to prevent spread of infection. We're testing all patients here before any elective procedure. So any colonoscopy, endoscopies, cardiac catheterization, all outpatient surgeries, we're doing a rapid test in the hospital immediately before the procedure. So we know we can keep our staff safe. We can keep that patient safe. We're masking all visitors. There's hand sanitizer everywhere around the hospital. I think it's something we just, we need to keep messaging out to the public. Hospitals are really good at infection prevention, probably the best. And again, if you come to the hospital and you follow the precautions that we're putting in place, there's very, very low risk of any kind of transmission to you of of getting COVID. It's hard for people to hear because COVID patients come to the hospital to get treated, but it really is the truth. I always tell people it's safer to come to the hospital than go to the supermarket because we have so many infection prevention policies and procedures in place, and we have that culture of needing to do that all the time. That's a great point. And Stephanie, similar question for you. I know Centera has really been at the forefront of a lot of safety measures and infection prevention. I remember a few years ago, Centera implemented the use of copper-infused linens as a way to limit the spread or cut down on the spread of infections. So what about the safety culture and that message that Centera is trying to share? Uh, yes, absolutely. We started a campaign at Centera called Safe at Centera. We have several very brief Facebook Live series that you can find out to review. But just as Dr. Lisi said, we have all those precautions in place. Anyone that comes into any one of our facilities will get screened at the entrance with screening questions as well as a temperature check. We ask everyone in the community to wear a mask in. If they do not have a mask, we do give them a mask to wear while they're here in the hospital. That is required for all staff and all visitors. We have physical distancing in all of our waiting areas throughout the hospital. And as people are exiting the area, they're in the waiting areas. We are cleaning, you know, all the surfaces. So we're taking very good precautions to keep all of our patients, community members safe while they're here at Centera. 
it really is critical for people to understand that if they need health care, they should not put it off and that a hospital environment is an especially safe place for them to seek out that needed medical care. Before we go, I have a couple questions I'd like to ask both of you just to give our listeners a little bit of a sense of who you are beyond the work that you do. The first question, and Stephanie will pose this to you, is what's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? I would say around COVID to please wear a mask. I've been very pleased with some of the essential services in the community beginning over the last few weeks to require masks for entry into their businesses. So wear your mask and wash your hands. Very current and timely piece of advice. Uh, Dr. DeLisi, same thing. What's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? You know, again, it may be related to COVID, but right as this pandemic started, I have a, a friend that had published an article in Forbes magazine about communication and sort of saying in times of crises, you cannot communicate enough. And that was something that I, we really took to heart here at Virginia Hospital Center. And we had weekly or twice weekly medical staff calls, regular updates with our staff, regular updates with our leadership. The amount of communication that we did, I think, really helped us to be successful, at least in the first part of this pandemic. And I think that's just great advice. You cannot communicate enough in times of crisis. Next question, and this is an entirely imaginary premise, but in the hypothetical scenario that you could anticipate your last day on earth, what would your last meal be? Dr. DeLisi, we'll start with you this time. Oh, wow. Last meal. Um, I would have fresh pasta with duck ragu and cannolis. Okay. And Stephanie, same question. I would say around the Thanksgiving time of the year, Thanksgiving meal is one of my favorites with the turkey, the mashed potatoes, the gravy, the homemade rolls, pie. like to experience that. Okay. And are you pro or anti-cranberry sauce? I am anti-cranberry sauce. Okay. Glad we got that on the record. And then finally, if you were stranded on a deserted island, what one book, one album, and one movie would you want to take with you to keep yourself company? We will spot you a copy of the religious text of your choice. So other than that, what are your three entertainment survival kit picks? Stephanie, we'll start with you this time. Well, I would say my favorite book series are Nicholas Spark. So it's not going to be easy. It's going to be really hard. And we're going to have to work at this every day. But I want to do that because I want you. I want all of you forever. You and me every day. <laughs> Um, really enjoy those books. Don't know that I could pick, you know, one off the top of my head. As far as entertainment, wow, I like all the kind of drama things on, you know, streaming services these days. And the one item that I couldn't do without, oh, I would say my phone, but I know I can't have that on a deserted island. I'm not sure. <laughs> okay. Dr. DeLisi, what about you? One book, one album, one movie. All right. Well, um, book again, it's hard, hard for me to pick one. I'm a big fan of John Feinstein and his uh, his kind of sports writing books, the ones on golf and on college basketball. So hard to narrow it down, but something from him. In terms of an album, I would probably pick Sinatra's Songs for Swingin' Lovers. I'm a big Sinatra fan. I think that's probably one of my favorite albums that he has. So well, but why should I try to resist when, baby, I'm know so well I've got you under and then one movie 
Uh, again, that's a that's a hard one. I think if I was stranded on a desert island, though, I would probably want some sort of comedy movie to keep the mood light. Okay. Well, we appreciate you both sharing those picks with us. And with that, that's going to bring us to the close of another episode of the Virginia Hospital and Healthcare Association's Patients Come First podcast. If you like what you heard, please make sure to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe so that you know when new episodes are available. And thanks again to our guests, Dr. Jeff DeLisi and Dr. Stephanie Jackson for joining us today. Thank you both. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. 